Okay, so this is, of course, a familiar story, isn't it? This that we're considering tonight, familiar story. Even if we've not studied it, even if we've never read it, most of us have at least surely heard of Jesus calming the storm. A familiar story, but how are we going to think about it this evening? Well, you and I are living through a season of questions in society, aren't we? Everybody is asking questions. When will lockdown properly ease? What will life look like when it does? When when will there be a vaccine for COVID-19? That sort of stuff. Questions everywhere you look. Well, given that that's the reality we're living in, perhaps this evening you noticed in the reading that there are a couple of major questions in this text. And so... Let's use them, shall we? This evening, we're going to think together about two questions. One, I think, primarily is addressed to Christians. The other question is uh, directed to those who do not believe. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. Look at Jesus calming the storm and the two questions that are asked. But... As usual, maybe I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. So perhaps what I need to do first of all, maybe we need to set the scene. Uh, do we, friends? So do you know where we are? Do you know the, the setting here? Do you? Uh, at this point in time in Luke's Gospel, we are, you know, this is part of what is usually called Jesus' Galilean ministry, isn't it? Uh, you know, he's in and around Galilee and he is preaching and teaching and performing miraculous signs. And where exactly are we? Did you, can you pick up on it? It's actually quite, quite nice, isn't it? Uh, especially these days where we've had some decent weather. Uh, Matthew tells us, the evening is falling at this time, so it's a nice, a little bit cooler. And we've got our toes in the water at this point, don't we? Can you see why? Why? Because Jesus is just about to get into the boat and he's about to cross the Sea of Galilee. He's about to cross the lake. Now, that might sound really idyllic. Oh, that's just ice and everything. But you know, as well as I do, that things get pretty crazy pretty fast here, don't they? See, just have a look at verse 23. What are we told? Do you see it? Um, in verse 23, we are told a windstorm hits the lake and hits these boats. A windstorm. What do you think about? What are you, what are you envisaging in mind there, this windstorm? I'm going to tell you what, what, what I used to think about. I used to think about Loch Ness. <laughs> A good Scottish Highlander, you know, of course. Uh, you see... When I was that little kid, a wee boy, my uh, commute to church every week used to take our family right along the banks of Loch Ness. So maybe you can imagine that, can you? There's me, you know, a little, little kiddie in the back of a Mark III Ford Escort, you know, and it's a wintry, blustery day on the way to church, and I'm looking out at the lake, you know, I'm looking at the loch, all these little boats and they're trying to battle the choppy waters and a bit of a gale blowing. So is, is, is that the sort of thing that we're dealing with here, with Galilee? Is that it? You know what I need to say to you? Absolutely not. And if you've been thinking along those lines, forget it. Get rid of that idea. Because first of all, we've got to understand, Galilee is not a like, piddly little block, right? Galilee is this vast expanse of water 
And then get this as well. Galilee's like 200 meters below sea level. And it is, on either side, has these steep hills. And do you see what that means? So cold water, uh, cold wind rather, in Galilee comes you know, sweeping down from these hills. It hits the warmer air. And what does that mean? That means all of a sudden there's these immediate storms in Galilee that can get really, really violent. And doesn't that, do you think, come across? I mean, look at this. Look at it in verse 23. Their boat here was genuinely in danger. Verse 24. I love that description. Look at it. Verse 24 speaks of raging waves. Do you see this? This is not all. There's a wee bit of a gale and a loch somewhere. That's not this. This is dark. This is terrifying. There is a ferocious tempest blowing waves crashing over this boat. Now, at this point, what we could do, you and I, we could think about what is the apparent climax uh, to this story, couldn't we? Because you think about it, you know, the disciples are freaking out, man. Like, they might be hardened to uh, fishermen, but they've never seen a storm like this before, have they? They're freaking out, and they go to Jesus for help. And what's the apparent climax? What does Jesus do? Our Lord chastises the storm. He rebukes the wind and the waves and boom! All of a sudden, there's this marvellous calm that descends over everything. And you and I just now could, could focus on that, but I think genuinely that might be a mistake because believe it, if you will, I don't think that is the climax of this story. No, no, no. I think the apex, the, 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 the zenith, the pinnacle of the story is the question that Jesus then asks. So I want you to see this. Look at verse 25 with me. I get the picture. Jesus is just calm, the storm with great power. He then, though, he turns to the disciples and what does he ask? What does he say? He says, where is your faith? And as you're sitting at home just now, and you're watching this, I'm asking you, do you get the, the force of that? Do that question, where is your faith? Would you agree with me that it's not just the water that Jesus is rebuking in the story? Oh, is that Jesus is also rebuking these men? And in fact, can you see what Jesus is actually calling for from these disciples? I mean, think about these guys. The disciples have seen so much. They've heard so much from Jesus, witnessed so much, had so much grace in their life. And now at a point of crisis, their faith fails. What's Christ calling for? You see it, right? By asking this question, he's calling for deeper trust of God in crisis. Isn't that it? By asking this question, where's your faith? Jesus is imploring these men to see that in times of trouble, they must trust more in a God who, yes, loves them, but a God who is in sovereign control of absolutely everything. Now, as we think about the relevance of this, I think we need to consider the last couple of months um, at London City Presbyterian Church. I've 
this week, be thinking back on the last couple of months. Do you know what strikes me? Do you, do, you, do you know what I think? I think in the last few months, God has been so tender and so caring with us at London City Presbyterian Church. I wonder if you see what I mean by that. As you look back over every Sunday, isn't it the case that what God has done is taken us to his word and Sunday by Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, he has given us words of reassurance and God has given us words of comfort from scripture. Isn't that true? It's not been engineered by the ministers of this church, not in any way, shape or form, but think of First Peter. You think about the Psalms that we've looked at. What has God been doing? What does God done? He's repeatedly said to us through scripture, I love you. I love you. I have saved you. He's implored us to consider the privileges we have received in the gospel. Time and time and time and time and time again over the, this whole coronavirus, God has given us comforting words, words of reassurance, tender words for us. And this is what I am wondering. I'm wondering tonight as we listen to the voice of God, I'm wondering tonight whether in this portion of scripture, God's tone with us has changed. Do, do, do you see what I mean by that? His tone changing? If, if not, just think for a second about the parallels between this account and you tonight, your predicament this evening. Isn't it the case that with this coronavirus, we are in troubled wars? This is one of life's most violent storms that we faced. Isn't it? And though we should have maybe seen this coronavirus coming, doesn't it feel a little bit like Galilee that this is a storm that's just suddenly hit us, suddenly been whipped up? I think so. And as the waters of COVID-19 so crash around us, don't we have to be honest that many of us have given ourselves to fear, panicking that these waters, this storm is going to sink us, it's going to drown us? So could this be true? Could, could it be? That the rebuke that Jesus gives to the disciples in this boat in Luke 8 is the same rebuke that he's issuing tonight. Is it that Christ is saying to us as Christians this evening, where is your faith? Friends, we, we must remember, like the disciples, Christ has called us how privileged we are. We must remember Christ is all powerful. We must remember Christ loves us. And I think, do you know what? critically, supremely, you and I need to remember, like the disciples, in this storm, COVID-19, Christ is in the boat with you. <laughs> so let's not be given a panic like the disciples were, that, oh, we're going to drown in the waters of COVID-19. Let's instead look with greater trust, greater faith to this almighty God who has claimed us as his own. Where is your faith? Okay, so we've had the first question. <coughs> Excuse me. I said we look at two. And uh, I guess as we get to this, I want to reiterate what I said to you earlier on, that though the first question is surely directed more towards the Christian, that where we go now, where we go next, is much more uh, orientated, geared towards you. If you're watching this, and you are not a Christian, so you are not born again in Christ Jesus. And indeed, I'm going to take this a little bit. This might sound a bit melodramatic. I have thought about it, and I do believe this. So listen, 
I think that where we go next, this next question we're going to consider is actually, wait for it, I think it is the most important question. If you're not a Christian, the most important question you could ever, ever, ever ask. Right? So there's a big build up. This is the most important question ever. What is it? Look with me to verse 25. Have a look at verse 25. So we get the idea, do we? Jesus calms the storm. And his disciples are amazed at this, aren't they? And they ask rhetorically of Jesus, they, they say to each other, who then is this? Who is this? Who is this Jesus? You see the question? Now, hey, thankfully here, Luke, thankfully for us, Luke does not just record the question. The way that the story is told to us, Luke actually gives us a couple of insights into the answer to this question right he asked the question or it's recorded but there's actually a couple of answers that reveal who jesus is reveal his identity to us and i just want to mention them here's the first now please get it we see here that jesus is not a guru we see here that jesus is god did you hear that jesus not a guru jesus is god now let me be a bit sneaky let me just chuck that at you, you know, as you're, as you're there in your home. How do we see in the story? Like, we studied the story, you and I just now, we just read it. You know the story anyway. What details in this story reveal that Jesus is God? How do we find out that Jesus is God? What would you say? Come on, what would you say? Would you say it's because he's got control over nature? Is that how we see that Jesus is God? Would you say that? Would you say, actually, we see it in the reactions of the disciples? Like, would you see how it's told to us that they marvel and they're very afraid? These are descriptions that you find in the Old Testament of people before a theophany. Isn't that an appearance of God? That'd be the same reaction. Oh, maybe that tells us that Jesus is God. Yeah, it does. But you need to get this. Listen to me. Primarily, we learn that Jesus is God here through the exact type of elements over which Jesus has control. I see, now you know, listen, in the Old Testament, we are told time and time again that it is God and God alone who has control and mastery over the wind and the waves. You know this, do you? Like in the Old Testament, the waters, the seas, were viewed as being very chaotic, almost evil. Time and time and time and time again in Scripture, we see it's God. Only God has mastery over the waters. Do you see the message here? Because Jesus in this boat, as he can rebuke the waters, we can rebuke the waves and they obey him. What have you been told? You've been told Jesus isn't a life coach. Like, this isn't Gandhi in a boat. You know, this isn't just some guru. He's not a great teacher. That's not all he is. You know, it's not that Jesus is just an old prophet. What are you being told? See him in the boat. See him. The waters obey him. This is God most high. Listen, Psalm 107. Their courage melted away. They cried to the Lord in trouble. And what did God do? God made the storm be still. What did God do? God made the waves of the sea to be hushed. Do you see it? What's Luke showing you here? What's God showing you? Jesus isn't a guru. Jesus is God. But then, you're with me, right? 
There's a second insight that answers our question. Cause? Come on. Armed as you and I are now, with this detail, Jesus is, he is, he is God. Do you not think that there is the most bewildering detail in this little story here? Isn't there the most astounding thing? Maybe you know where I'm going, do you, friend? Do you? Well, you answer me. What is God? What is Jesus doing when that storm first hits the boat? You know, what is God doing? What is Jesus doing when these winds very first? What is he do? You know the answer, do you? You do. But doesn't it blow your mind? Can you not linger on it? There was a, a time in human history when the sovereign God, the, the one, the maker of heavens and earth, there was a time in human history where this almighty God who sustains your breath, who sustains your life, there was a time in human history when he was asleep in a boat. A time in human history where God himself was here, here, so exhausted that the winds and the waves didn't wake him. The disciples had to go and shake him, so tired was he. Do you see what the second insight is? Do you you see what Luke is telling us? Who is this man? He is not just God, but this Jesus is God become man. He is both God and man. Isn't it absolutely astounding? Astounding to, to, to think about that for a moment. Don't you agree? Think about it. God has so cons- condescended to us, <laughs> taking on our flesh, our nature, those sinners, so condescended that he got really tired. Isn't it? That's amazing. And to think that later in the ministry, this God's man would, would cry. God! In tears! You know? That he so humbled himself that he would hunger at various places that he would go on to, to die? I mean, would you linger in that at all? It's absolutely outstanding, astounding stuff. But isn't it all the more so? When you remember and you realise why God has done this, oh, if you're not a Christian, if you're not in Christ, oh, listen, please, please, why did God do it? Do you understand that this individual in this boat, the Lord Jesus Christ, this is God become man for us. (laughs) For us. God has so humbled himself. He has become as though one of his uh, creatures, his creations, and he has done this. Why? Because he has come to do what he knows that we can't do ourselves. God has lowered himself. To live correctly. He is Lord himself to, to do what we cannot do and live righteously. Lord himself to live that holy life. God became man to earn heaven. To earn salvation for all those who would turn to him in faith. And so if you are sitting this, sitting watching this and you are not a believer... I really genuinely think it is imperative that you consider for yourself this question, who then is this? Who then is this Jesus? And I'll tell you why I think it's so, so utterly important. Later on in the Gospel of Luke, later on in the same book, 
the author will use a word that he uses here and he will use it again in a different sense. Wait for it. Then that word the disciples use when they come to Jesus and say, Master, Master, in the storm, we are perishing. That word, perishing, Luke will later use to describe the fate of all those who do not believe. All those who are outside Christ, perishing, perishing, perishing. So you see why it's imperative that you understand who Jesus is, that you look to him and see that he is God and he is man. Because if you are joining us tonight and you're not born again, you are in a spiritual storm. If you are not in Christ Jesus, your boat is being swamped and sinking and you need to do what the disciples did. Friends, you need even right now to run to Christ Jesus. Master, Master, I am perishing. Help me. You need to cry to Christ for deliverance. You need to cry to Christ for aid. Friend, if you're not a Christian, you need to look to the Lord Jesus Christ and plead with him to be saved. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Father, uh, we praise you that you are good to your people. You've been tender. Uh, we know, Lord, perhaps there is a rebuke here for us tonight. Forgive us when we do not trust in you as we ought. We ask you to save those who are watching and who do not know Christ as Lord. And we do worship you, Lord Jesus. You are both God and man. We thank you for what you have done for us and we pray in your matchless name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.